last uh, year when we had our REACH initiative, you, you put your Annie Armstrong Easter offering, what you normally gave uh, during the year, you put that into your, your pledge for the coming year too. And that is just, that is awesome. So you've been given, but maybe, maybe some of you didn't do that. Uh, listen, we need to give to Annie Armstrong and if you give to our REACH offering, if you give here on Sundays, you are helping us uh, to, to meet that goal that we have. And so I encourage you to give. And, and maybe the Lord just puts it on your heart to give over and above what you've already planned to give. And it will help us do North American missions and make sure, you know, the world, uh, uh, it has kind of changed, hasn't it? International missions and North American missions have, have really overlapped. Uh, the world has come to North America. It's sometimes hard to, you know, those folks that are uh, uh, down in Miami in the area that they are, only 75% of that population has English as their original language, as their native tongue. And so we have the world here and you get an opportunity to, uh, to give, but you also have an opportunity and an obligation to reach out here and now to the people that are around you. And what I wanted to do in the next few weeks is explore a passage of scripture deeply that really is, I think, Jesus's most, uh, probably most famous set of parables, but perhaps his most important set of parables in teaching us what we're supposed to do as his followers. And so I want you to turn to Luke chapter 15. And over the next three or four weeks, we're going to circle these parables. We're going to dive into these parables. And we're going to look at the third emphasis that we as a church have had since the beginning of the year. These three emphases, these three priorities are at the very core of of Jesus's church and they need to be at the very core of this church and they need to be at the very core of every single believer. The first emphasis that we focused in on January in January was worship, reaching up in worship and prayer. That is the foundation of what we do. We are worshipers. We're designed to worship. And so we talked about worship. We talked about prayer. That is the vertical life that is so important. And all of the, all of the other things in life kind of feed off of that vertical life. And then in the month of, Femu- of, of February, we moved into uh, uh, Jesus' command to love one another and to support one another and encourage one another. It is the edification of the church where we're serving and teaching and encouraging and building one another up. It is where the church is being transformed internally. So you have the vertical relationship and then you have that internal relationship in the church. But what we see all the way through scripture, and we saw it in that passage that began our year in Isaiah. Isaiah saw the Lord, he worshiped, he saw himself and he was transformed. And then God said to Isaiah, whom shall I send? Who will do what? Who will go for me and the resulting, the third part of our life is, is looking at the need, looking at uh, God's call upon our lives and saying, here am I, send me. And so we've moved from the vertical to the inward to now we're looking at the outward. We're, we're talking about reaching out. And these parables are just absolutely incredible in terms of how Jesus sought 
the lost. Every so often people will come up to me and they'll say, where's the lost and found? <laughs> How many of you have lost a mug here at church? Just raise your hand if you lost a mug. You know, it used to be you lost Bibles. We don't, we don't find as many Bibles because people have, their, have them on their cell phones and apps. You know what we have the most of now? We still do. Umbrellas and, uh, and those Tervis things, those, uh, those uh, big cups. And so the staff, we just collect them. We have like three or four or five at home. No, we don't keep them. We don't really do that. <laughs> we do have a lost and found, but some of you aren't looking very hard for what you lost. It's amazing what just stays and stays and stays. You know, we do have a lost and found, and we'll, we'll help you find it. And, uh, but anyway, uh, we, when we look at this passage, we're looking at Jesus' heart for the lost. We're looking at the Father's heart for the lost and how he desires to pursue at all costs that which is lost, those who are lost. And so I hope it will challenge you and encourage you we saw this week what we all knew would happen soon. But I, I grieved at the death of Billy Graham. How many of you, just let's look across the room, how many of you ever attended a Billy Graham crusade? Look across the room. How many of you received Christ and became a Christian at a Billy Graham crusade? Raise your hand. Look at that. Look at that. We talk about someone who pursued the lost. What a great example. He lived to 99. Aren't you glad that he made it to 99? He was lying in state in the Capitol building in Washington, D.C., and there were no uh, headlines, no skeletons in the closet. No uh, reporters claiming that he did this or did that, that he just laid there. He lived that long life and he served God and his generation well. But he had one driving pass, uh, passion, reach the lost. And he did, you know, by some estimations, he preached to 80 million people. They have on record three million decisions for Christ in his crusades. What an amazing, amazing testimony. Did you notice the word that I used though? It is the old fashioned word. I think they got a little bit away from it. I'm not real sure, but when I went to see Billy Graham, when I, the first time when I was five years old, it's really the only time I went in Texas Stadium, 1971. I went to see Billy Graham, but they called it a Billy Graham crusade. Do they still call it that? We don't use that word. That word sort of took on a negative, negative connotation. When you say crusade, you think of something bad. But let me give you the definition of a crusade. This is what Billy Graham was about, and this is what you and I ought to be about. It's the positive side. Uh, one dictionary said a crusade is to lead or take part in an energetic and organized campaign concerning a social, political, or religious cause. So Billy Graham had a crusade. It was an energetic and organized effort to reach the lost. I like this other definition too. A long and determined attempt to achieve something you strongly believe in. Now what you're gonna see as we 
take this passage apart, you're going to see that Jesus strongly believes in reaching the lost. Jesus was on a crusade, a long determined attempt to achieve something he believed in. And he is still on that campaign, that crusade through the body of Christ. If you're a Christian, Jesus is in you crusading after the lost, crusading, uh, campaigning, searching and seeking the lost. Let me show you what he said. Luke 19, 10, for the son of man came to do what? Say it together, to seek and to save the lost. He made it very clear what his campaign, his crusade was all about. And then in Mark chapter 117, He gives it to us as well. He said to his disciples, follow me, and I'm going to make you fishers of men, of men. It's interesting that uh, Billy Graham's achievements and success over decades and decades of ministry was not just the result of his preaching. He just gave a simple gospel presentation. It was really the result of an evangelistic association. It was the job of a, a large group of people. And so when he came to Gainesville, or the, I think Franklin came here, didn't he? But when Billy or Franklin would come to a, a place, it was an association of churches. When you look at those uh, stadiums with 60, 70, 80,000 people at his crusades, that was the work of an association of churches, an association of believers. It was the result of a year of preparation, year, a year of prayer and planning and effort. It was a campaign to reach the lost. And Jesus, listen, he gives us his word. And in these, in these uh, parables... He's going to show us the campaign he's on, and he's going to rally us, rally us to it. And today, here's what I want to do. Today, I want to talk about the why we should join Jesus in his campaign to find and seek and save the lost. Why? We're going to look at his motivation. Over the next couple of weeks, we'll dig into a little bit more of the how. But before we talk about the why, let's just read these stories. These are, these are delightful they're challenging. Let's look at Luke chapter 1. You'll notice the context in which he tells these stories. Really cool. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes did what, church? They grumbled. They didn't like the sinners, they didn't like the tax collectors. But even beyond that, to associate them would have made them ceremonially and spiritually unclean. So they kept their distance. And why would this rabbi, this great teacher who could heal, why is he associating with the rabble, the tax collectors and the sinners? Why is he doing that? He's gonna tell us in a minute. Why is he breaking with tradition? Why is he offending the best tithing church members, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the ones that were going to church all the time, the one that really, they knew all the law, they had memorized the scripture. They were trying to live their life really, really, really pure and clean. Jesus should have been hanging out with them. Why are they grumbling at him and why is he associating with the sinners? He's about to explain why. And he gives three stories. 
Let's look at the first. The first is the story of the lost sheep. So he told them the parable. And who's he telling? He's telling the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he's also telling the tax collectors and the sinners. He, this is, uh, he's, he's shooting at two birds with one stone because one group is going to see how much God loves them and wants them. The other group is going to see it's not just for you. And self-righteousness is not the way into the eternal kingdom. And so he's going he's gonna to show this vividly. Look what he says. What man of you with a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go hard after the one that is lost and keeps going, campaigning, keeps going until he what? Finds it. And when he has found it, you ever done this with your sheep? (laughs) Neither have I. They'd pick that thing up, put it right around their neck and takes it home. And here's the, here's the celebration. So he comes home and he's, he's, I got a picture of a shepherd in Israel. When I, I took a, a group to Israel, I got a picture of one with a sheep around his neck. I couldn't find it for today, but he puts it around his neck and he walks back. But look what he does. Verse six, he calls together his friends and his neighbors and he says to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, Jesus says, I tell you, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. By the way, are there really any righteous people who need no repentance? So you're kind of getting the message. He's painting it clearly for the folks. Jesus is that great shepherd chasing after the lost. Now, the men in that group, man, this illustration worked with them. They were the shepherds. That was kind of their job. There was a lot of people, they knew sheep. They could identify with that. You know what I love about Jesus? He gives illustrations that kind of hit everybody. Just like I try to do that. He gives some illustrations. He, said, he got the men. Now he turns. He says, all right, ladies, I'm going to give you an illustration. Help you see the same principle. He says, uh, so he told this parable about the lost coin. What woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and seek diligently until she finds it? You say, It's just one coin. It's just one day's wage was all it was. Why is she searching so diligently? Well, most likely this was a type, this was a gift from her husband and they would wear these coins on their forehead and and they were a wedding gift, sort of like a wedding ring. Have any of you ladies ever lost your wedding ring? Raise your hand. Did you care at all? I hope so. (laughs) Your husband's sitting by you. You better... Sarah, from time to time, we have, she's lost the diamond falls out or lost the, you talk about searching. He says, can you identify with that? 
She got down in the dirt, the dirt floor. Can you imagine that coin got mixed in with the dirt of the floor? And you can see her sweeping. You can see her with the lamp because it was dark in those Middle Eastern homes. There weren't a lot of, wasn't a lot of light, so they lit a lamp and they swept the dirt looking for that coin. Just, doesn't that seem like the church taking the light of the gospel, sweeping through the world just looking for the lost? He says, and when she finds it, oh, she's like, ooh, man, my husband's not gonna be mad. I'm so glad. No. Look what she does. When she finds it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors. Y'all come on over. Rejoice for me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Do you see some of the, the primary words in these stories? One. That's a repeated word. One. Is one person important to God? And lost. Lost. And a third word is rejoice. Joy. Jesus is telling us something. Now there's a third story. You know this as the story of the prodigal son or the lost son. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided the property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. He squandered his property in reckless living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. He began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country and who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. No one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise. And here's his plan. Here's his plan. And we're gonna dig into this in a couple of weeks. I love this story. But here's his plan. I'm gonna go back. I'm just gonna get a job with my father. I'm no longer really his son. I'm gonna go back and try to get a job. And I will say to him, uh, um, I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still where? A long way off, his father saw his lost son and he felt compassion and he ran to his son and he chucked his son's plan. You will not be my hired servant. And he embraced him and kissed him and put a ring on him and a robe on him. And we'll look at that. But you see in that the joy of the father. Why is Jesus on a campaign for the lost? Well, you can see some of it right here in these stories, can't you? But I wanna, I wanna back up. And just with a few minutes, I want you to see that you can't really understand chapter 15 
without understanding one particular parable in chapter 14. So would you flip back in your Bibles, chapter 14, and I'm gonna show you the two motivations of why Jesus is hanging out constantly with tax collectors and sinners. By the way, if you look at chapter 14, verse one, you know who he's hanging out with? You know who also he had dinner with? The Pharisees. He, he was an equal opportunity savior. Aren't you glad? He'll save Pharisees and scribes. He'll save sinners and tax collectors because we are all in great need of grace. And so he was an equal opportunity savior, still is. But as he's sitting among these tax collectors or among these Pharisees, he sees that they want the special seats and they want the seats of honor and the great parking spots and, you know, all the stuff they're demanding. And so he comes to them with this banquet story. And listen to what he says in chapter 14, verse 16. He tells them about a banquet that's going to show us the motivation for reaching the lost. A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the, at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Now, this is, sounds so familiar, but they had excuses. Now, think about this. This is a parable about God inviting uh, Israel and then inviting the world to come to a feast at his house where everything is ready. And he's going to give them the bread of life and living water. And they're like, we'd love to thank you for the invitation. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to uh, postpone this. Let me give you some of, I got some good excuses for why I'm turning down eternal life. Let me give you a few. I bought a field. And I must go and see it. So please excuse me from the vast riches of your grace in heaven. Now look at verse 19. Another guy says, well, I just, man, I got five really cool oxen. I got a new yoke. And so I got to go check out my oxen and examine them. And so you just got to explain. Excuse me, I've just got to do that. So we got a, a person who is putting real estate ahead of God's banquet of grace. And we got a person who's putting work or his oxen or whatever it is. You need to plug into there what you might be putting up as an excuse to not receive Christ. You need to plug into there but, or, or to be involved in his mission. And you see these excuses. And then verse 20, I mean, it just ramps up. I mean, another one said, hey, I married a wife. I can't come. I, you know, we have to be very careful. We don't let our families and our family priorities keep us from God. Our businesses, our boats, our houses, our real estate, our land, all of this was an excuse. Sounds familiar. But here, let me, I'm getting lost there. Keep going. So the servant came back to the master, reported these things to the master and said, then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city. I'm not sending out 
nice invitations this time through the mail to those who have been invited. I just want you to go out into the highways and the byways, and if they're laying on the streets, if they're begging, if they're crippled, if they're lame, if they're blind, if they've got leprosy, it doesn't matter. I want everyone, you just bring whoever. Verse 22, and the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done and there's still room. I love that this servant already knew the father's heart and had already decided, I better get some people to come. Nobody's coming. So he had already started asking people. And, uh, and, and when the master said, go quickly, he says, no, it's already been done. Verse 23, and the master said to the servant, go back out into the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be what filled so what's jesus doing hanging out with sinners tax collectors pharisees scribes why is he putting up with the barbs and the jabs the insults the apathy Because the father wants his house to be full. The father wants his house to be full. Compel them. Jesus in chapter 15 is just doing what God has told him to do. He's compelling us all. The father's house has room. The banquet is ready. The bread of life is there. The living water flowing. The forgiveness is available. Come. And Jesus is just showing us. The Father wants his house to be full. Does that make you happy in God today? That makes me so happy that God has a house and there's room and he wants it to be full. And the reason we're here and the reason he's compelling us and moving on us is because he's got a house that needs people, the lost. Let me give you this second motivation and then we'll close. The second motivation we see in Luke 15. So flip back over there. We see it three times. Don't miss it. Don't miss the Father's joy. All heaven rejoices. When how many repent? At the one. Consider the size of our universe. Consider the immensity of God himself, who we can't even comprehend. Consider eternity. Consider the beauty of creation. Consider how many billions of people are on planet Earth and all heaven rejoices at one. And so Jesus is compelling through us. 
in the streets and the highways and in Miami and in Kenya and in Gainesville and wherever we are to compel anyone, all people, his house is full. And all heaven will rejoice when one lost is found. One coin gets to be what it's supposed to be, an ornament on the bride. One sheep gets to be what it's supposed to be, sheltered with other sheep under the shepherd's care. One son who ran, one prodigal gets to be fully what he was created to be, a son of the living God. It brings joy to the heart of the father. Let me close with a couple of questions. Number one, in application, will you pursue one? Will you pursue the one? Will you pursue the one that lives beside you? The one that works with you? The one that lives in your home right beside you? The one that you sit by on an airplane or on a bus or in a classroom? Or one that is in an unreached people group that have never heard the gospel. There's one there. Will you pursue the one? Notice how Jesus pursued Zacchaeus, Matthew, now, if you know, you know some of these characters, they were tax collectors and sinners. Notice how he pursued Nathaniel, the great Israelite. You know what he did? Jesus sought them. He sought them out. He received them into his presence, into his life. He received them. Then he, he ate with them. He took the next step. He, he entered into a relationship of breaking bread together with people that he was not really used to associating with, that he was not, uh, uh, they were not part of his uh, uh, social group growing up. And he uh, ate with them. He went into their homes. He had them into his, and he saved them. Will we receive them? Will we seek them? Will we receive them into our homes? Will we receive them at our church? We ought to be out in the parking lot on Sunday mornings waiting 
hoping. All the way out there, running, waiting for the one. We should do everything we possibly can to reach our world. We're having our life group fellowships tonight. Some of our groups are getting together. We encourage you, I continue to encourage you, those aren't just for the us, they're for the one. Is there one you can have into your home that God's heart would rejoice in if we would reach them? We give them. You know what we give them when they come to our homes? You know what we give them when we have a gathering? You know what we give people who don't know Christ when they come here? We give them our best, the best parking spaces, right? Who should that go to? The pastor. (laughs) I was talking with that, but with Roy this morning. My, where's, who gets the best parking spots? The lost. Because we're on a crusade to reach the lost. Who gets the best seats in the house? The lost. Who gets to be at the front of the line when we have dinner? lost will you pursue the one I don't know about you but there's plenty of this that's stepping all over my own toes my toes hurt this morning now let me turn the corner and I want to conclude with this maybe you are the one this morning Maybe you've been invited here today by someone who loves you and wants you to know God has been pursuing you. Maybe you're the one today that by just circumstances and you just happen to be sitting here today, God wants you to know He sent his son on a mission to find you and save you. Will you be the one that comes back to Jesus this morning? Will you be the one that is found, that brings joy in the hallways of heaven? Here's what we're going to ask you. If you just sense that God's called you today and that you know and see how much he loves you in Christ and he came to die on a cross for you, somebody had to pay the penalty for your sin. You must uh, turn to him. Notice what these verses say, that it is the repentant that God rejoices over. The, The one who is lost must turn like that prodigal son, turn from sin and turn to the father and ask for eternal life and forgiveness. You can do that right now. I'm gonna lead us in a prayer in just a moment. You can trust him. You can come back to him today. 
Maybe some of you have been on the run from God and you know, God, that you've been running for some reason and you're here today and I'm here to tell you, he is waiting. You can run right back into his arms. But church, the other part of this invitation is that when we leave these doors, we, we need to be on the lookout for the one. I believe this, church, that God is making appointments for me every day. Divine appointments. As I pray for them, do you pray for those divine appointments with the one? But I get busy, you get busy, and we're all active, and we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. We're like the righteous son that's back at home, and we're out in the fields, and we're plowing, and we're, we're doing everything we should do, but we miss those appointments. Don't miss them. Share your story. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them. You don't have to have seminary, seminary degree. Just tell them you were lost, and now you're what? Found. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you before we leave today. We come and we just ask that we would have your heart and have your eyes to love what you love and to pursue who you are pursuing. God, I, I, in my heart, you know, this is not a guilt trip. This is a joy trip. The joy of finding that coin, the joy of finding that lost sheep. We call our friends together. God, we celebrate today right here in our midst. We just come back to rejoice. This past Wednesday night, God, you saw we baptized a young person. We saw one this week. God, who's the next one? Give us the privilege, the courage, the willingness to be the one to reach the one. God, help us do that. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe God has you here today to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, to come home to him. If you want to have eternal life and the forgiveness of sins, if you want to be at that great eternal banquet with God, you must turn right now. Just say, Jesus, just say this to him. Jesus, I repent of my sin. I ask you to forgive me. Just say that to him. And then say, I invite you into my life and I surrender to you as my Lord. Just say that to him. I invite you in and I surrender to you as Lord. Something as simple as that, if you just prayed that to God, if you just opened up your heart, he has saved you. He's picked you up like that shepherd with the sheep. He just picked you up because you stopped and you came to him, he picked you up and you're, he put you over his shoulders and he's holding your legs tight and he will never let go. Rejoice in that with us. When we sing in just a moment, if you just prayed that prayer, I want you just to come down. 
and tell me? Would you just come and let me rejoice with you? Give me the joy of that. This altar's open this morning, church. If you wanna come and pray for the one or the two or the many, pray for our team that's in Miami. Pray for us as we pursue the lost. You can come and pray. Father, help us to respond. However you've touched our hearts this morning, may we respond in Christ's name, amen.